Episode 21, Good and Evil, The Power of Choice. Welcome to Living the Tao, a spiritual podcast that explores how ancient wisdom, a practical perspective, and deep truth can empower you to live your best life. In this episode, Taoist master Michael Steenrod outlines how you can avoid calamity and accumulate great spiritual power by consistent action and treating yourself well. Religion basically has two large elements to it. One is cosmology, which is generally uh, what is the description of the universe. Uh, and two is uh, eschatology, uh, which is the uh, end game. What is the ultimate outcome? Yeah. And you can go through different religions and basically see that uh, classification there. Uh, what I'm going to talk about today will bridge across being critical of uh, deity systems, uh, but it's not really. Uh, it's just talking about the different structure of uh, spiritual systems as we go through. But out of the various talks that I've had, it will probably seem the most critical of Christianity uh, as we go along. But basically, uh, if we have this concept of good and bad, this would be a cosmological concept. The world is divided into two poles. One is a good pole, the other one's a bad pole. At the most basic level of Taoist practice, which you call of the body or the art of living, uh, this guy looks like an alien on the board here, but is in fact a simplified Dr. Seuss-like uh, drawing of a human. So. Yeah, it's how the who practiced Qigong. <laughs> And of the body, what people are largely concerned with uh, at this level, and this is just a classification of humans, uh, what they're largely concerned with is how do I avoid calamity? So how do I avoid bad things coming in my life or being smited or is it smote by various greater powers? Okay. Uh, in a nutshell, how do I be a good person? How do I be? Or how can I be a bad person? And so basically you have a list of good person habits and you have a list of bad person habits. And you can get by by following the good person list or you get by by following the bad person list. Okay. Uh, and this is largely uh, of the body. Taoism uh, takes care of this uh, by actually using Confucianism. Most, more of the more, or the temple-based traditions uh, teach Confucianism in the beginning to provide people with this list. And the reason for that is even within temples, the vast majority of people don't have any urge to try or want to understand why things are the way they are. What they want is the list. They want the list of things that you do and the list of things that you don't do. Uh, however, as you go farther, you find out, one, there are massive exceptions to the list, and two, the list doesn't actually exist. Okay. Now, in general, now we're going to roll it over to a, uh, 
what I call the old dude in the sky or the big dude in the sky concept. In particular, in temples, the people that start within a temple tradition are children. Uh, and that's always the thing to remember. People that enter into a temple tradition later in the life are, or were the exception. They are no longer the exception. Uh, but the children are not capable of forming this type of thought. Uh, and so they need a list of good things and a list of bad things. They'll find their own exceptions to the rules as they go along. They don't need the big list of exceptions uh, to behaviors. Uh, and so you just give them the list and say, good, or you say, bad. Uh, why is that bad? Because you'll be evil. Uh, and that's all the rationale that you need, and even though it's you know, basically circular reasoning as you go along. Uh, you don't want it to be complex. The other thing to keep in mind is that from a perspective of population control, and by population control what I mean is people not going around burning each other's houses down, uh, it's important to have this list. And you put onto the list, oh, yeah, I can't burn your house down. Uh, and Or give things to people. Okay. Uh, and then you just do whatever's on the list. And it keeps the population from descending into chaos. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, if, if somebody comes along and they already have a system of that, why make a whole other system? So Confucius spent a lot of time building this system. Uh, he's tested it across hundreds of millions of people. Uh, why not just use the dude system that is already there? Uh, the majority of people uh, will fit into that system well and you know find good ways of behaving and bad ways of behaving. Can it be abused? Yes, of course. If humans want to abuse human knowledge, they're going to abuse human knowledge. There isn't any great preventive measure to stop that from occurring. So this is in a nutshell uh, of the body concerns. Now, as we start getting up to the big dude in the sky concept, uh, I'm not saying there is no big dude in the sky. In fact, we can go into Qing theory where the Taoists basically say, yes, there are big dudes in the sky. Uh, and, but that's a whole different uh, real argument. What I'm saying is that the concept of the good list and the bad list is largely enforced with the thought of some sort of punishment existing if you fall onto the bad list. And this is used to compel human law. So what we have here is a representation of what is divine law or the structure of the universe saying that human law needs to be formed in a certain way to prevent divine retribution. So you can't have a human law that says it's perfectly acceptable to chop off everybody's left pinky toe uh, if in fact this leads to the big dude in the sky saying, well, you can't do that, so now I'm going to set you on fire. Uh, and that becomes the, the, a basic conflict between divine law and human law. But the threat of divine law or the enforcement of the bad uh, and good division is used to compel human behavior and human law. So the basic uh, question would be, well, one, is the universe actually set up this way? Meaning that if there is enforcement of the bad and good poles, uh, human law, should human law refle reflect divine law, and should it just be structured as a model of that? And 
would you be better off following a set of laws that closely mimic divine law as you came along? The Taoist response to this is that this doesn't actually exist. Uh, for the most part, if you follow the things that have been listed as good, you will generally accumulate some minor positive karma uh, as you go along. That's pretty much all that's said. And your life will avoid calamity. Okay. You're much more likely to encounter great calamity if you do the things on the bad list than encountering calamity if you do the things on the good list. Of course, if you've been doing the things on the good list all the time and you encounter calamity, then you're going to be sitting back wondering what you did wrong or you know, why you're not being rewarded for being on the good list. Well, the real reward for being on the good list is you are less likely to suffer calamity. Uh, and you are not preserved from it for the duration of your life. The concept of karma that we inherit is that there is a definite pole of good and you acquire more power by moving closer to the pole of good. With the Taoist concept, uh, you have three poles of karma, positive, neutral, and negative. Uh, and if you want to accumulate power, what you need is consistent action. Uh, and that action consistently gives you, uh, as your actions become consistent, you start moving along your given pole. So if you practice and inspect the nature of evil karma, you can accumulate massive amounts of evil karma. And that doesn't put you at odds with the universe because quite obviously uh, most of the things that we regard as being evil need to exist uh, within the processes of the greater universe. The Tao does not favor any particular pole. However, humans are generally benefited by pursuing a good or neutral pole. And that's the thing to keep in mind. So our structure favors one of those two elements, especially at the level of a population. The problem is, is that as people move into uh, evil acts, one, it's not a well-documented or studied area, so the likelihood of experiencing calamity is great. Uh, and two, uh, the human structure wasn't really built to do that very well. Uh, humans are probably slightly evil to start off with on the karmic poles. But uh, that pole doesn't provide them with a good, <laughs> which is kind of a funny, doesn't provide them with a, a uh, easy or rapid way of accumulating karma. You have to be very deliberately evil. And more than likely, it has something to do with population segments. So probably a certain portion of the population is favored to pursue evil. Uh, and if they do it well, they can acquire tremendous power. And you can see pl plenty of people that have acquired tremendous power uh, through the course of evil. Uh, and what the Tao basically says is that there is no punishment for them uh, in any particular afterlife. In fact, they can also acquire enlightenment if they want to. Uh, however, there is a negative consequence for humanity uh, and human law to permit such a thing to occur. Uh, and so... What we have to do is, in some ways, we have to understand that the rules of the game are such where some things are only important to humans and by humans. So a human has to choose to sit back and say, it is not beneficial to have a large number of evil karmic people within the human population. Uh, they need to be suppressed or killed. Uh, which has actually been the Taoist decision. Uh, and 
it is not because there's going to be a big hand that reaches down and takes responsibility for the whole thing. Uh, it has to be the hand of the practitioner or the hand of humans that reach in and say, well, you can't do this because we have simply chosen that you cannot do this. Uh, and uh, then you can get in, oh, is it, shouldn't I be able to be evil, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no. <laughs> and, and that's the response. You simply say no, and you stop it, and you alter the course of things. Uh, and we go from there. There is no karmic penalty for killing. Uh, there never has been. Or else every predatory thing within the world would be uh, cursed. Uh, so every time you eat anything at any time, uh, you would incur a negative karmic penalty. You would also incur negative karma just by walking across the ground or even existing. Uh, killing is simply the end of the natural end of the life cycle, meaning it is supposed to end. Uh, now our attachments to that process, that's going to have a whole different set of, of consequences to it. Uh, but the act of killing itself uh, doesn't isn't connoted as a karmic penalty. So it's, there's just nothing wrong with it. Not on the divine level. So some of the things that are wrong on the divine level can be uh, surprising. But uh, on the other hand, cruelty is immensely negative to both the positive and the negative uh, poles of karma. Uh, so even if you're evil, you can't be cruel. Uh, so there's another factor that's involved. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Living the Tao, a spiritual podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the fine folks at Water Mountain. Please take a look at some of the great Forescendent Sphere merchandise. Your purchase helps keep everyone gainfully employed. Please go to thedaoismforthemodernworld.com and visit the shop. Now, back to the program. Generally, it is the wanton destruction of choice structures in order to favor your own choice structure. Part of the problem of, of true karma is that it doesn't break down into simple rules. You have to uh, reach a point where usually what happens is this. Okay, uh, you start making consistent choices. You begin to find out that some of the choices that you thought should accumulate karma in a certain area either work directly against accumulating karma or do absolutely nothing for you. Yeah. Uh, somehow they plunge you back into the nursery. Uh, and the nursery is the place where all your acts are meaningless. Uh, meaning that the universe doesn't regard you seriously, you're not capable of uh, achieving any sort of power. Uh, it's like you're always constantly spinning your wheels. And that again has nothing to do with the social sphere. Uh, so this, this is going to become complex. What I saying is that you, have, you start the initial process of trying to accumulate consistent karma. Once you've done that, once you're actually making trials, uh, you'll start learning directly what accumulates karma in certain areas. And some of the things that you think are harmless are going to turn out to actually be evil. Uh, and some of the things that you think are evil are actually going to turn out to be good. Uh, which is going to just be odd, but that's basically if humans had an accurate picture of the karmic model, the social mind would not exist. It couldn't exist. It would be torn apart. Uh, so the world of illusion, the reason it's called illusion is that no matter what acts you undertake within the world of illusion, nothing changes. It stays pretty much the same. Uh, now, it'll change hats, 
but it's still wearing a hat. Uh, and that's the great curse. That's one of the reasons that the Buddhists call this world the world of illusion. That's the reason that the Taoists call it the world of illusion. It's because nothing that you do within the world of illusion matters at all. Uh, it's entirely meaningless. Uh, and so that's really the drive behind this concept of illusion. You know, there are other interpretations of well, it has to do with the senses, or it has to. It has a little bit to do with all of that. What it really has to do with is being powerless. Uh, if no matter how you interact with something, so if I go to pick up this pen and write on the board and nothing occurs, if I do it with my mouth, if I'm doing it with a back flip, if I'm doing it, something in there doesn't exist. Either my efforts to move the pen doesn't exist, or the pen, as I think of it, doesn't exist. And that's what happens in most people's lives. They end up in this position of where their actions are meaningless, where they're incapable of making any changes within themselves, or within their environment. Hence, it is illusory. It doesn't matter because it would not matter if you were alive or dead within the formula. Because of that, it is considered illusion. So that's the harsh and, and complete definition of illusion. Uh, and uh, it is not regarded in light terms within the Taoist practice. Uh, and you know the real, the underlying driving factor between behind a lot of Taoism is is a simple statement uh, that uh, my teacher once said, and what he said is that the vast majority of all humans are meaningless, and the vast majority of all life is meaningless. And the reason for that is simple: they dwell within the illusion. Uh, now, if you don't want that, you simply stop it, and. Uh, you stop it uh, by accumulating karma and by trying to develop choice structures that actually have impact. Uh, and so we develop consistency. That consistency impacts you directly because karma is not just your interaction with other people. So it's not a reward system of where you know you have a you have this little tablet that you're walking along and as you interact with people you get pluses on it or you get minuses or you get zeros. It doesn't work like that. One of the biggest areas to get karma initially and then more potently later on is your own interaction. Because remember, if you're cruel to yourself or you treat yourself poorly, same thing as doing it to somebody else. Uh, no difference. Uh, you won't accumulate any karmic merit. Uh, now, okay, so you work within that range. As you start doing that, the rules of karma start unfolding for you. The other thing, meaning you start understanding them. The other thing is, is humans already have a built-in capacity to see the choice structures around them. You have the ability, just like you have the ability to like, uh, walk, uh, but if you don't use it, it's just going to sit there. So if a person wants to, and they, as soon as they start engaging the process, they'll start to see the interaction of choices. It's a natural facility built into humans, and in fact, it's one of the things that marks the human species as being different than most animal species. Most animal species are not capable of seeing the choice net. Uh, humans are. Uh, and a lot of Taoism is based off of those two simple concepts, even though it's not really talked about. Uh, but if you start doing the Taoist practices, you automatically start seeing those things so they don't actually have to talk about it. Uh, and so 
from that position, the position of becoming aware of choice, of actually being able to see it, and interacting with karma, screwing it up and getting it right. So you have to run trial. There's no way around that. Uh, you start being able to accumulate karma in massive directions. You start also getting the opportunity to become evil or to become or move along the neutral pole. You will have a tendency along those lines somewhere along there. However, if you do pursue the evil pole, remember I have to kill you. Uh, if you get too annoying on the good pole, I might just kill you too. So. But. And so most people that do things that are supposedly evil do things that are destructive for human society but aren't actually doing anything evil. They're just doing things that are destructive for human society. And it's irrelevant because it's within the realm of illusion. Uh, it has no impact. It does nothing. It's just sitting there spinning your wheels around and round and round. Now, it's important to other humans. And that's the thing to keep in mind. You don't need divine law to say that something is important to other people, so you should or you shouldn't do it. You just need a human to say that it's important to other people, so I should or I shouldn't do that. And what we have to do is we have to move away from the thought that we need divine mandate in order for us to do something for somebody else or not do something for somebody else. All you need is the thought of, well, I should or I shouldn't do this because it will have this impact. Now, assuming that responsibility, and the reason I'm harping on it, will lead you to acquire karma. If you just do things because you think they follow divine law, it's almost a certain guarantee that you will not accumulate karma. Uh, what you have to do is make conscious decisions of, I'm going to screw this person over because I want to. Uh, or, I'm not going to screw this person over because I don't want to. So, as you become present in your own choices, your choices acquire more power as well. Uh, and you just happen to go through that process. That's the ultimate thing about a child not being a child anymore, isn't it? Uh, you reach a point where they don't need to be constantly uh, threatened or rewarded with you know, the sugar jar or the jar of something not sugar. Uh, and, uh, and so you have that. But that's one of the reasons that we've quoted and built this term of the nursery. The, the nur within the nursery, you have little things of like, here, have a lollipop or here I'm going to shock you with a taser uh, and and that's but the zero sum of it or the ultimate sum of it is nothing uh, within the Tao within the rules of karma a person that's functioning at that level cannot really be treated seriously by the universe and so is not Basically, uh, crisis is a mandate from the universe to change more than you want to change. Uh, without that crisis, people would sit and basically stay in one spot uh, and not do anything. The crisis basically says, move to this spot faster than you ever wanted to uh, and eat your vegetables uh, or else. Uh, the, and the funny thing is, is that as you progress uh, within the karmic poles, uh, you get one of the great rewards is that you get to interact directly with the Tao. You receive direct mandate and you receive 
in many ways what seems like direct correction. So it can seem like a very personal, very direct, don't do that. Uh, and the response is to zap you with a cattle prod when you do do that. So it's like, Zzz. okay, yeah, yeah, I should have avoided that. Uh, now, it is actually the big dude in the sky. But as humans, we like to characterize our relationship in that way, uh, as some other human-like force. Now, you're right in that the vast majority of people at a certain point would not want to uh, induce pain in somebody else. Uh, however, that's not the entire population. And the other thing is, is that the desire to do that or not do that, if you were really thinking about acting selflessly with somebody else, the best course can oftentimes be to induce pain or place the person into crisis uh, and so that they will actually change beyond the direction that they want to. Uh, much of the uh, very advanced training, the training of adepts, is one crisis after another crisis with no reward at all uh, until you sit back and suddenly realize, oh, I am now this person when I was not that person until this string of life and death crises that just passed right by here. Uh, and in, at that level of training, you know, a teacher's responsibility is actually to throw you into consistent crisis uh, where a great deal is at stake, where you must do things that you did not want to do uh, at a way that you did not want to do them in a time period that you are completely uncomfortable in completing them. Uh, and that's really the only way that you can change for real. So, everything else is preparation for those events. Uh, now, either another human is going to do that to you, or the cycle of events is going to do that to you. Uh, and there's no way around that. But if you're talking about simply pain for the nature of pain, you know, that's going to be a matter of, there'll be a population percentage that favors that. There is nothing that restricts somebody who is oriented towards evil or oriented towards neutral or oriented even towards cruelty uh, from seeing the world clearly because that is your inherent nature. It's not a reward. Remember, one of the basic arguments of enlightenment is this. You are meant to be enlightened. It's your natural state. It's not a reward state. It's not something that's given to you because you did everything right. It's where you're actually supposed to be at. It's your zero point. That's what you're supposed to start at. Uh, that's the true human. From that point on uh, is, well, what do I do now that I'm actually dealing with reality, that my actions actually have impact, and the things that I do have meaning? Well, that's a whole different series of questions. So, But you can only get there by actually setting out to have those things occur. So as you set out to have this thing occur here or have impact over there, uh, you accumulate karma. Karma, interestingly enough, has nothing to do with enlightenment. Uh, enlightenment uh, has to do with the model within your brain. Now. So theoretically, it's possible for somebody that has no karma at all to achieve enlightenment. Theoretically. 
I don't think it's actually possible uh, because as soon as you start becoming aware of the universe, you tend to ac accumulate karma. Uh, you know, regardless of of uh, any other aspect of what you believe the cosmology or the end game to be, as as you start sitting back and going, well, these actions have an accumulated force to them, uh, and really the force of choice is what karma really means uh, as we go along. Now, in the Buddhist concepts, it's being nice to people, uh, and but if you're if you consistently follow the Buddhist pole, you will in fact accumulate positive karma. Uh, you'll do a whole lot of other things that accumulate nothing for you. Uh, and uh, you'll also do things that surprisingly are evil. Uh, but in the sum total of things, you'll do massively more uh, good karma things than you will bad karma things. Then you have to actually use your karma in order for it to have any bearing on yourself or the universe. So that's the, the other thing that goes behind that. It means you have to actually make choices you can accumulate large quantities of karma and uh, do nothing. Uh, in which case it's like... Uh, so the most common parallel I make for people is uh, karma follows basically the rules of a simple economy. So it's like having lots of money and choosing not to do anything with it. Uh, you can spend it uh, and you can spend it for your own personal development. So you can use your karma to make choices that will rapidly accelerate your own uh, personal development. You could also use your karma that, in a way that would rapidly alter this or alter that. Uh, but part of that is, and you do, the actual act of making choices creates more karma for you, but also how you choose can deplete your karma. And that's something you have to consider as well. Because some of the things that we think of as good actually fit into the definition of evil. So if you're sitting back and thinking, well, it would be better if the world behaved in this way, uh, and you had to set out systematically to destroy choice structures as you went through, you are, in fact, fitting the true definition of evil uh, because you have become a destructive force for choice so that you can impose your own structure. Now, you do have a right to pursue your own choices and act in your own uh, behalf, but that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for doing that. So, uh, And so while you might sit back and go, oh, it's better for it to be this way, well, what's that mean? It means that you now have a model of how you think the world should behave and you're going to go out and systematically crush and shift other choice structures so that it will fit that. Now, surprisingly, if you have the karmic strength to do it, you can do that. Uh, you can just sit there and modify the other choice structures. Everybody else's will come in to fall into the position that you've created it. But the penalty for doing so is usually tremendous. The terms good and evil are actually just conveniences uh, that we're using because people are roughly familiar with, well, you know, this is good and this is evil. Surprisingly, though, yes, intervening or rewriting choice structures, even if you think it is for the ultimate good, will cause you to lose karmic power. Uh, and also, if you're a neutral karmicist, your ability to intervene into the course of events is very strongly limited. Uh, you have, uh, like, the advantage of a neutral karmic person is that they can use good or evil at will. Uh, the disadvantage is, is that they are prohibited from certain types of interactions as if they uh, begin to make too many modifications in the course of events, it pulls them off their pole and they instantly lose all power. For the person who's working along good, they may be willing to take the ding. 
and you know, as a, in a conversation I once had with my teacher, as he said, "Well, you know, sometimes you don't do a thing because you know it's going to work. You do a thing even when you know it's going to fail. Uh, you do it because you feel that you should do it, uh, and it doesn't really matter what the penalty is. But you do so." with your eyes open. Uh, so the very least you do, or the very least you gain from that, is the conscious ability to choose. So you are honing your ability to choose. Even if the choice is bad, and even if it will cost you tremendous amounts uh, to do it. So if you want to set out and deplete your accumulated karma in order to accomplish a particular thing, you can certainly do that. And that's your privilege to do. There's not going to be any reward for it other than the personal doing of it and you will experience loss from having done it. But that's okay. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living the Tao, a spiritual podcast. In the next episode, Taoist Master Michael Steenrod describes why flying under the radar of the Tao will never get you the power you need to be happy. Until then... Find much more on Taoism at thedaoismforthemodernworld.com. Thank you.